0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, today we are going to talk about the Seder and uh, the uh, different Torah for the Seder, what we're going to talk about during the Seder. So number one is, what is the origins of the Haggadah? What are the origins of the Haggadah? Some say the Haggadah dates from before the Mishnah. The Mishnah is written around 100 CE, a little bit later, by Rabbi Nasi. And so the Haggadah predates the Mishnah. However, from the Talmud, it's obvious there was no set time. However, there were certain paragraphs and topics that were originated way before the Mishnah. So certain topics before the Mishnah. And, the, the, and we'll see the summer mentioned in the Mishnah itself. Uh, the, the Mishnah talks about Manishtana. He talks about four cups. Uh, talks about the Matzah and the Maror, which obviously a mitzvah from the Torah. Matzah and Maror, mitzvahs from the Torah. Today, Maror is not a mitzvah from the Torah because there's no Korah Pesach. It's only a mitzvah from the Torah, when there is a Korah Pesach. But uh, it talks about Pesach, Matzah, Maror, Mishnah Rabban Gamlia, which we have in our Haggadah. You have to mention these three things on the Haggadah, in the Haggadah, the seven night, to fulfill the mitzvah of these three things. We're going to talk about that, discuss that. And the and the Four Cups, everything else is from the Talmudic and post talmudic times. And in fact, the Haggadah got bigger and bigger as time went on, just like our tefillah. The tefillah, the morning prayers got longer and longer as time went on. Different generations added different prayers. So to the Haggadah, the different generations added pieces, especially the songs at the end were added different times. So the Haggadah, which was very short when it started, became very long. So the other basic ingredients on the plate, all from Talmudic, pre-Talmudic times. And around the skeleton, the other parts of the Haggadah were added. So around the skeleton, uh, other parts of the Haggadah were added. Today we can have a long Haggadah. And uh, the the Gemara tells us, We have to start with uh, the bad and we end off on the good. We start with the bad, with the disgrace, and we end off with the praise. Very important idea. So the question we have, the Gemara discusses, what is the bad and what is the good? So the bad... Is a machloket between Rabbi and Shmuel. One opinion says the bad is we were slaves, physical slavery, and the other opinion says no, it's talking about we were idolaters. And in fact, if we look at the Haggadah, it starts with we were slaves, and then it goes on over there. It tells us both that we start with the bad, the physical bad, the slavery in Egypt, the physical slavery, and then we then we can have the spiritual bad, which is avadim hayinu our forefathers were idolaters and it talks about Terach the father of Abraham it starts off with Terach interesting we go back in history to Terach the father of Abraham who was an idolater so that's the spiritual slavery we have physical slavery and spiritual slavery however the Gemara does not tell us what the Shevach what is the praise we have an interesting discussion amongst the Rishonim what is the praise we end off, it says, end off with praise. So Rambam says, we end off, the praise is that we today have we're Jews. We have the true religion. And Hashem, that's how the Haggadah talks about it. Kiravnu, Hamakom, Laborato. Hashem drew us near to his service. That's the praise. According to Rambam, the praise is that we are serving God today. So we're not physical slaves to anyone else. We're not spiritual slaves to idolatry. We are servants of God. We are are spiritual and physical servants to God. And we were chosen. Hashem separated us from the nations. And he drew us near to his, what Rambam calls Yehudah. His Yehud, which is his one name, his uh, unity. So we believe in one God, a unity, like no other unity, as Rambam says, what does that mean? Hashem is uniquely one like nothing else. There's no, nothing else in the world we can compare Hashem's unity to because nothing else is unified. Everything has pieces. Uh, that's the first opinion. What is Shevach? Shevach, according to Rambam, is the praise of, of the nation, is that we worship the true religion. The second uh, praise, uh, Meiri, who was a very interesting uh, rabbi in the uh, Middle Ages, Italy. Uh, today, they printed his works, uh, which they got copies from the manuscripts in the Vatican. So, Baruch Hashem, we have the whole Me'iri on Shas, here on the whole of Shas. Today, it's very famous. It made print about 50 years ago. Baruch Hashem, we got it now in the Vatican. We got copies, at least. At least they're giving us copies, not giving us the originals. The originals they have, they say it's for safekeeping. Yeah, they took it for safekeeping well, we know what that means, and um, they won't give it back to us, but at least we have copies, so at least we can print, Baruch Hashem, we printed the works of the Me'iri, this famous rabbi from Italy, Middle Ages, so he says that today the shavach is, we're out of Egypt, and we're serving God, two things, so Raman talks about one thing, the shavach is we're serving God, the says we're out of Egypt, and we're serving God, the best thing is we're free from physical slavery, and we're free and we're, we're now free from spiritual slavery of idolatry. We are serving one God. The Midrash discusses, talks about, the Sayem B'Shevach is not talking about the praise of Israel, the praise of the Jewish people, so the praise of Hashem. We finish off with the praises of God. What is the praise of God? Baruch Atah Hashem. That's how the Haggadah ends off. Ga'al Israel. The Maggid section of the Haggadah ends off. Baruch Atah Hashem. Ga'al Israel. We'll drink the second cup. Thank God for redeeming Israel. So we're praising God. That's the purpose of the Shevach. Shevach is to praise God. And the lastly is the Babanah says that the Shevach is the four sons. It's interesting. Children. The Shevach in the Haggadah is the ability to teach our children. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem has children. And that's Shevach. We have to give praise to God for the, the mitzvah. We have children. We can teach our children. And the fact that uh, Israel today is growing, Baruch Hashem, having children. And thank God, we're uh, we'll get, hopefully we'll, we'll grow. Our numbers are growing after after the Second World War, after the Holocaust. And third of the Jewish people were lost. We have to make up for it. And not enough, we're not making enough, enough. But at least we're making up a little bit of it. We're losing and we're gaining, we're losing and gaining. Anyway, that's the praise. The praise is the point of our children. So this idea of uh, genut and sheva, this idea of this grace and sheva we have in the in the, in the Haggadah, it's so just think we start off with bad and we end off with good. Now, verses should always end off on a good note. We try and always end off, even the Torah portions, we always try and end off the Torah portion on a good note. And sometimes, in Haftar as well, sometimes we repeat a verse to get to the good part. For example, the Migilat Esther. there, we end off the Megillah and we repeat the one sentence again just to make sure it ends off on a good note. Everything should end off on a good note. So however bad things are, you know, we had a guy in the shul, a Shalom, Yehuda, Reich, a Shalom, who would ask me, always ask me, Rabbi, what will be, what will be Rabbi, what will be Rabbi? So I said, at least in Jewish, in Jewish philosophy, in Jewish theology, everything's going to be good. Everything ends off with Mashiach, with the perfect world, with unity of Hashem, with the, everyone recognizing Hashem, and peace on earth, Bezrael Hashem, in our time, speedily in our time, We'll think there'd be another war, dangerous war in this world again. Crazy. Uh, anyway, let's not go there, but uh, that's what's happening. And uh, we will see in our time peace on earth. This is the Jewish vision. The lion will live with the lamb. Actually, it says wolf will live with the lamb. And, uh, and there'll be no more wars uh, Prophet Isaiah. Okay, so people beat their spears into the plowshares. We should see this in our time. I thought it's happening, but got pushed off a little bit, so a little hiccup again. We have to pray harder for the Yudah Sholema Be'er Hashem. And to get to the stage of we have physical and spiritual redemption, Be'er Hashem, all of us. But it's interesting, what's interesting is every individual on their own level has to view their lives in this kind of uh, measuring against these uh, two things. Am I physically a slave Do I work too hard? How much uh, do I need to live on? Do I need to work so hard? Do I not need to work so hard? How do I find a better job, which is less, uh, <clears throat> less uh, tiring so I can devote my time, more time to learn Hashem, to learning to what I do, Mitzvot? And the other side is, am I a spiritual slave? What, are my, uh, what is my belief system? Uh, do, what are my uh, emotional needs? Um, am I hooked on something that I should be hooked on? So that's the kind of spiritual, emotional, mental. We're going to talk about different kinds of slavery. Uh, that's a kind of hook that a person has that's drawn to other things apart from Hashem. That's a kind of spiritual slavery today. Unfortunately, there's a lot of different things which are attracting our attention, like the media, like our cell phones, and etc., etc. So, a person can be a spiritual slave today very easily. Uh, what does that mean? Not to slave to any person, not even a slave to idolatry, but a slave. His time is drawn to things which which are unnecessary, that's a slave to certain things. So desires for certain things, even the news sometimes. Something uh, like the news, so um, people want to see the news every two minutes, an update, an update, That kind of slavery in the sense that they're drawn to something they cannot control. It becomes like out of control. So today we take our freedom and liberty for granted. And uh, But every year we appreciate, we re-appreciate the fact that we're free. We re-appreciate on Saturday night on this night of the year, we re-appreciate, you know, we were slaves and now we're free. We have to thank God for being free. Thank God we're free. We will be truly free in every sense. And what's interesting is the Nusakh of our Haggadah today we talked about is mainly based on Rav Amram Gaon and on Rashi. Rav Amram Gaon, one of the Geonim in Babel, and Rashi. Was the great uh, one of the great Ashkenazi uh, commentators on uh, the whole Tanakh and the Talmud and whatever you have, everything Rashi, Rashi, you live with Rashi. So Rashi has his text uh, of the Haggadah and Rav Amram Gaon has a text of the Haggadah. So we are based on second main uh, second main text. We're based on Rav Sadia Gaon, who is a very famous. uh, Rambam's philosophy is uh, based. Loosely on Rav, Sadegaon. Rav Sadegaon was the first major Jewish philosopher, right? wrote down a whole system of Jewish philosophy. And it's available today, Rav Sadegaon, very famous. So the second main uh, Haggadah is from Rav who was Rosh of Surah. There were two great, uh, two great yeshivot, actually three great yeshivot in Babel, in Babylon, Sura, Pompadita, and Nahardea. So Surah, it's amazing how the yeshivot of Surah kept on going. I think until about 200 years ago. So, so... Massive yeshiva, learning Torah for thousands of years in Babylon. And uh, the Rashi at that time was Sadegon, about, uh, talking about over a thousand years ago before Rashi and Rambam came along. And, uh, and he, he skipped a lot of the Haggadah. Rav Sadegon, um, he uh, skipped parts of the Haggadah that Ram Don had. So today we have, our, our Nusach is based on these two great uh, Haggadot, the Haggadah of Rashi and Rav Amram go and Rav Sadi And basically, we're going to talk about the 14 different parts of the Haggadah, which we sing at the beginning of the Seder. Beautiful. So the Seder means Seder means order. And everything in our lives, the biggest bracha in our lives is everything is in order. Everything is, you know, you have, you wake up in the morning, this piece of earth, you have solid ground under your feet. There's no flooding, there's no storms, there's no tornadoes, there's no earthquakes. There's no wars. Oh, and no one's being murdered. Unfortunately, today, unfortunately, can't guarantee anything. But that's, hopefully, it's a normal kind of day. If a person has a normal kind of day, we have to thank God. We have to thank God. Normal kind of day is there, We have seder in your life. That's a bracha. The biggest bracha is to have seder in one's life. There's a system. And Judaism is the biggest system, the most uh, uh, legislated system of goodness there is. <laughs> Interesting. If you read Talmud, you read the... It's amazing how much minutiae in Jewish life, how much minutiae in Jewish life, what is the purpose of the minutiae? So a person must lose uh, sight of the forest for the trees. That's the problem. So the minutiae could make a person just focus on the minutiae. Where are the minutiae leading? They should be leading to becoming a better person. It should be leading to becoming a more spiritual person. It should be leading to being a nicer person, a gentler person to the world around them, to people around them. So if it's not leading to that, then there's something wrong. There's something wrong with the way a person's learning to it out. There's something wrong with the way a person's doing its work. There's something wrong with the way a person's relating to God. So it's uh, something wrong. That's a sign of spiritual disease. So uh, I should lead a person to good things and better things and growth in life. So I was going to figure out a way to make it part of their um, psyche, but also to improve, make sure that they're improving at the same time. Okay, so say there is order. We talked about this. Now, interesting is we were talking about Pardes. The Pardes, Arba, four rabbis went into the Pardes. are well, the Pardes, so that's a, it's an acronym for Pshat Remes Drash, so Pshat, simple explanation of the verse, Rem is the hints, drush is the deep explanation, the sort of the secrets of the uh, matter. So it's interesting, the seder has these three out of four letters. Interesting. Pardes, pei, resh, daled, samach, and seder has samach, daled, resh. Interesting, going in the, it's going in the wrong order, it's going in backward order, and there's no payo here. What is going on? There's no psha. there's no simple explanation to explain Pesach. What does that mean? That means Pesach is a miracle that does not make rational sense. You cannot have a miracle that makes rational sense. Pesach is a miracle, unexpected, totally miracle that does not make rational sense. And that is the beauty of Pesach. Pesach is a day above nature. No question, it's above nature. Totally above nature. Hashem made things happen. And the order is backwards, so the order is backwards. Normally, a person has to do the shuba to get the gula over here. A person gets the gula and then does the shuba. <laughs> it's uh, it's wild, it's uh, it's, it's everything is upside down. The seder, we talk about order, seder means order, but over here, the order is backwards. The beauty of Pesach is everything is backwards. What does that mean? That means Hashem, and we find this at the, at the Red Sea. It says the angels, midrash says the angels said. Hashem, why are you saving the Jews and killing the Egyptians? Kill them both or save them both. Why? They worship idolatry. They worship idolatry. What difference between them? So you see, even when they came out of Egypt, the Jewish people were considered idolaters. So why were we redeemed? And the answer is we were redeemed because of Chasley Hashem. Everything was not logical. Everything was illogical. Everything was backwards. So so normally you say, Parades, Shatrim is Drash, Sod. And over here we say, said there, Samach is Sod secrets, Dalit is Drush and Reish is remis. So it's backwards, totally backwards. Interesting. We always think of Seder as order, everything's in order. But over here, Pesach, everything is not in order, which is amazing. Why is everything not in order? Because Hashem turned nature upside down. To get us out of Egypt, Hashem had to turn nature upside down. We have to appreciate the level of miracles. We talked about the plagues, different plagues in Egypt. Were there 10 plagues? The, the Haggadah tells us there are 50 plagues or there are 250 plagues on the sea. Tremendous miracles. And the further away we get from Yitzhak shrine, the less we know about it because the traditions have been fallen off. So it wasn't for the, if it wasn't for the Seder night, uh, we, we probably would have forgotten about it. You know, we, even though Yitzhak shrine is such a big part of our liturgy, we always talk about Zechari Yitzhak Mitzrayim our Kiddush Shabbat every day in our Lord and the Shema at the end of the Shema. And in the we always talk about Yitziah Shrine in our and Shhen and Arvid, we talk about Yitzhia's shrine, and yet the details of Yitziah shrine can be very easily forgotten. So, okay, the Torah gives us the details, but the legends, the folklore, you know, like uh you're saying can you imagine your your grandfather, great-grandfather left Egypt, he could tell you the details exactly what happened. now. Uh, we don't have that today, unfortunately, we don't have that. So we've lost the the minutiae, we've lost the uh, the micro of Yitzhak Israel. We have the macro, we don't have the micro, unfortunately. And this is something that the previous generations, well, early on at least, the first commonwealth in Israel, maybe they had it um, up to maybe the first temple period 480 years or so. After coming out of Egypt, they still had a kind of uh, memory because nothing was written down. So they memorized everything. They said, my grandfather said this, my great-grandfather said this. We have a tradition in the family, and this happened to us. But we don't have that today. We don't have that personal tradition. But at least we do have a seder. So the seder, we have to remember it's order. But it's actually order backwards. Why? Because I've shared the tremendous miracles. And this is something we have to focus on. The June seder, the We've got to tell more. you have to tell your children, We you have to teach our children. A person has no children. What do you do? So Ramon says, you teach your wife. And, you know, actually, you don't have to teach her because she's going to teach you. <laughs> It's a question and answer we're going to talk about. Why is the remembrance of Egypt, of coming out of Egypt on the night of Pesach different from every single night? Every single night is a mitzvah, twice a day we said in the Shema. And the the last paragraph of the Shema, to remember coming out of We remember in the third paragraph, Hashem took us out of Egypt, Hashem took us out of Egypt. So what is different this night that we focus uh, on coming out of Egypt? What's the difference? We're going to talk about that. There's a lot of answers to that. that particular question. So the Haggadah is something which is keeping the tradition alive. You know, it's interesting because in Philadelphia, I used to take my children when I was living in Highland Park. Uh, Philadelphia There's a, a museum built for kids. It's called the Please Touch Museum. It's a fantastic museum for kids. And you go there, the exhibits are user-friendly. They're, they're kid-friendly. Kids can go on a bus. They can hoot the horn. They can go and see uh, whatever they do and they, they can touch things, to make things work. So it's a please touch museum on on uh, on the night of Haggadah. It's a please touch experience. It's interesting because we have the same matzah, maybe a bit different, maybe it's crispier than the matzah they originally ate, I don't know. Um, as far as we have the soft matzah as well. So it's a, it's a nice kind of uh, uh, a choice you have. You have the hard matzah, you have the soft matzah. I tell you the soft matzah is not much easier to eat than the hard matzah. It's also the bread of affliction. So <laughs> it's lachemoni. Whether it's hard or, or soft, it's, it's believe me, it's lechemoni. I prefer the hard matzah because it's crispier and it's easier to eat, I guess, to get to a certain age. But the, hard, the soft matzah is soft, but it's like a chewing gum. So it's, uh, it's hard, also very hard to digest. It's not a thin wrap. It's a thick wrap. It's a pretty thick uh, wrap and very uh, doughy. And, uh, I don't know. It's okay. So let's not go into that. But it's very also very very complicated to eat it's uh, very hard to eat and digest anyway so so we have the police touch museum in front of our very eyes we have the matzah we have the maror we tell the children you see this bread this is the bread of affliction our forefathers ate and you want to feel the bitterness of this experience taste the maror so it's a please touch and please eat experience it's the best way to educate kids you have the props in front of you that's why haravan Yael says you already fulfill your mitzvah if we have matzah, maror, uh, everything in front of you. Everything has got to be there because that's how you educate, that's how you teach, and that's how you feel and you touch it. And it's interesting. Even little babies, the way they experience the world is through their mouths. Uh, everything you give them, they put in their mouth. Every little thing, they taste the floor, they taste the lick, everything. They want to taste everything. So yeah, it's experiential. It's an experiential evening that we have to give the kids and animals, an experience. How do you give people experience of mitzvahing without movies and without any recollection? And the answer is, at least we have the food. We have the props in front of us. So it's interesting. So the center is order, but it's totally out of order. Everything's out of order. And the first thing that's out of order is we have a kiddush cup we're celebrating. And then we have the matzah which is the bread of freedom, really, not the bread of affliction. We're going to talk about the duality of the matzah. We put the matzah before the maror. So we're putting freedom before the bitterness. (laughs) It's it's upside down. You know, everything in the set is upside down. Everything goes, uh, we have to keep on asking. That's the idea. The idea is to ask questions. Ask questions, do things not in order. You have to do things which are strange so that people will ask questions. Because the best way to educate is get people in, into it, get people excited, get people to ask questions and uh, use the natural talent of people, your know, curiosity. You build on their curiosity and then they're interested, they're online, you can, you can have a dialogue. So Saturday night is a night of dialogue. That's the difference between remembering Egypt coming out of all, all year round. It's basically a monologue to oneself or it's just in your mind, we're going to see different opinions. And on Saturday night, it's a dialogue. So that's the whole thing. It's it's a dialogue. We're talking about dialogue. and the dialogue is built on Jewish history. It's built on actual events. It's built on the events of uh, physical slavery. It is built on the events of spiritual slavery. We have to express to our children, this is where we are. This is where we were. And where are we now? That's the question. The question on Saturday night, the main question, I think, is a fundamental question no one asks is have we improved or have we digressed? That's a very fundamental question. So, so according to the Haggadah, obviously when the Haggadah was written or whatever it was, that history was at a good up note, uptick. Mm-hmm. Because it starts, with, it starts with the bad stuff and it ends up with the good stuff. So in which generation was the good stuff? That's a question. Now, obviously it was a good generation. Everything was on the uptick. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, how are we doing in terms of the Jewish continuum of the centuries? How are we doing? How do we compare to the generation of Terach, the idolatry of Terach? And uh, how do we compare to the slavery of Egypt in terms of freedom, in terms of what we call freedom? We have to discuss what freedom is. We talked a bit about it last week. And how do we compare to that? So how do we, our generation, And that's what it means, the whole door by door, every generation, you have to view yourself as if you came out of Egypt. So that's it, then we have to, how do we view ourselves as if, as if, how do we measure ourselves against those generations? How do we measure our spiritual state? How do we measure our physical state compared to that generation? I think that's the key question in the seder, which is missing from the Haggadah. How do we measure up ourselves, our generation, our children, our families, to that generation? How do we measure ourselves physically? How do we measure ourselves spiritually? I think that's a key question, which is a silent, invisible question going through the Hagadah. But if we don't ask that question, we've missed the point. We're missing the point. How do we compare to that generation? Uh, It's very hard to compare. We don't know what they were like, but we have the history. We have what's written down. Let's try and compare ourselves and try and see where we Fill in where we're going. What is our aim in golden life? Do we aim to be free physically? Do we aim to be free spiritually? Are we, are we growing? Are we not growing? Are we static? Are we going downwards? And that is also the same issue in in terms of the four children, the four sons. The four sons can be viewed as an escalator, either going up or going down. So mm-hmm. Hakam, Rasha, Tam Sheini Hakam is the wise man, and then all of a sudden. Some people say it's the same person. Everyone goes through these phases in life. Chacham and then Russia. first he was a chacham and then he became Russia. We have plenty of examples. We don't have to go through them. <laughs> plenty of examples. Uh, two hundred years ago in uh, Europe, where the, you know the Haskalah and other things started, there were yeshiva boys and they started the movements. They joined communism. Maybe maybe after two hundred, maybe a hundred years, maybe one hundred fifty years, whatever. So, uh, different movements started capitalism, Marxism, communism, all the isms started. And who's at the forefront of these movements? Of course, these Yeshiva, former Yeshiva boys. And uh, so, Hakam, and then Russia, unfortunately. Russia, and then Tam. What happens? What's a Tam? A Tam is a guy who forgets everything. He forgets uh, where he came from, he forgets his history, he forgets his uh, learning. time, and then Shady and Shah. The worst level is gets to the point where he doesn't even know how to ask questions. What questions are they needed to ask? I don't even know where I am. You know, I was, I was at a, when I was in yeshiva in Israel, still in Israel, Baruch Hashem. This is about 40, 50, 45 years ago, something like that. I was in yeshiva in the Negev, and they would send our shiur to a different town to build up the Torah in the town. So, we had a bus leaving the yeshiva every morning, We go a three-quarter hour drive to a different town in Israel, the Negev, and we sat in the shul in Negev, and one day it was a weird sight. We saw kids being brought in from some kind of secular kibbutz into the synagogue in Israel. And obviously it was the first time these kids had been to synagogue. So thank God they had some kind of class, maybe it was a social uh, class, on uh, social sciences, and they brought the kids to experience uh, synagogue. So Baruch Hashem, they came to the synagogue. So these little kids come in and they show them the, the format and the siddur, and, and, and the kids are saying, oh, ah, and then they take out the a Torah and they show this is a Torah Wow, I've never seen this in my life. So that's, that's the level of a shenu yadalishal. A doesn't know what exists, what preexisted, doesn't know what questions to ask. And that could be the same person who goes through these phases in life. It's escalator going down, but it can also be an escalator going up. So maybe the guy starts off as a shenu delishal. Then he gets smart. He starts learning a bit how to ask questions. And then he hears the answers and he says, I don't accept these answers. These answers don't appeal to me So it comes to Russia. Turned off. And then afterwards, he grows more. He said, maybe, you know, maybe give it a try. I'll give it a try. Maybe I'll get some good answers. Become a hakam." And finally, he learns the answers of the questions. And as Russia becomes a hakam. So it's an escalator going up, escalator going down. Again, this is the question Of We have to ask ourselves in the Seder, where are we on the escalator of life? Are we going up the escalator? Are we moving upwards from the Sharia Yoderishal, Tam, Rasha, up to the Hakam? Are we going down the escalator? I I learned so much and now I'm forgetting everything. Or I'm uh, not as careful as I used to be with sport. So that's the escalator of life. We're either going up, there's no... There's nothing static in the escalator of life. It's very hard to stay on the same levels, like climbing a mountain. You need energy just to stay up there. You need energy just to breathe the rarefied atmosphere. And that's what David Amelow says in Psalms 24. Mi'a'aleh Behar Hashem, who will climb the mountain of God, who will stand up there. Mi'a'amodim kom who can stand up there static. So it's an escalator. That's what the set is about. Set is about the question, which is the unanswered question. The, the unwritten question is, where do we stand? in uh, parallel of jewish history where do we stand in this universe the jewish history universe where do we stand how do we measure up how does our generation measure up the, door, the door every generation is a the view themselves that are coming out of Egypt. now what where how do we match up are we also on this trek to shavuot to the trek to rc9 interesting how many jews are going to sinai uh Pesach, how many israelis are going to Sinai? it's like it says the most jews ever uh, and the history since the exodus. The most Jews are now going to the Sinai for Pesach holidays. Imagine they're going on the beach in the Sinai uh, Peninsula, Sharm sheik around that area. It's gorgeous. It's barren wilderness. And they're, they're welcoming all these Israeli tourists, about 150,000 Israeli tourists are going to be there. So the most Jews since the coming out of Egypt are going to be in Egypt. So so is that what we are? Is that how we measure up? You know, these Jews were going to Sinai to get the Torah are we going to sign out to get the Torah, get some rays of sun, get some you know holiday time? So that's a question. So that is an unwritten question, the Hagadal. We have to ask ourselves during the Saturday. How do we measure up? Are we going up the escalator, going down the escalator? How do we measure up in terms of Jewish history, in terms of coming out of physical slavery, in terms of coming out of spiritual slavery? So interesting. Okay, so let's move on. But first we have to ask a fundamental question about Pesach. Why were there ten plagues? Why did Hashem play around with Paro? In fact, Hashem was saying uh, the word esachek. Hashem was misachek in Baruch. Hashem was playing around, literally playing around, cat and mouse with Baruch. And uh, Hashem could have just given one massive plague and knocked out the whole of Egypt. Why does, why does Hashem get templates? So the, the main answer is Hashem is showing his mastery. The idea that it's 10 plates, it's the templates is the mastery. Hashem is showing he's the master of the world. And that's why we mentioned uh, coming out of Egypt and the creation of the world when we talk about Shabbat. So Shabbat has two reasons given in the Torah. One is to remember the, Buddha, the creation of the world, so, and one is to remember the coming out of Egypt.
1: So now why
0: would the coming out of Egypt be on the same level as the creation of the world? Because the ten planes show that God is the master of all creation. And not just as a, we know this because of history and created the world, but because we were there, we experienced it. We experienced a miniature creation. We experienced God's power. That's the 10 plagues, the God's power in every aspect of creation. So you can match the 10 sayings that God gave the world with the 10 plagues. And then to reunify everything, Hashem gave 10 commandments, 10, 10, 10. Everything leads us back to the creation of the world and show God's mastery and everything. Hashem is the math of everything. And if you remember the creation of the world, the 10 sayings by the 10 commandments also, 10 sayings. Hashem gave us 10 sayings, again 10 sayings which is a kind of spiritual recreation of the world, because the world would have been tohu babo. There's different kinds of desolation. So there's physical desolation and there's spiritual desolation. The world without the Torah was spiritually desolate. It was a disaster, zone. And unfortunately, in some places now today, it's unfortunately, they have religion, but they don't have religion. They have a kind of religion, but they're still murderers and killers and can't say anything else, and doing all sorts of dastardly deeds. Which is totally against any kind of religion that there is. I hope, I hope, I really hope. Anyway, so let's talk a bit about the seder. We talked. So you said the seder is pardes reversed without this pain. Okay, it's pardes reversed because it's out of order, it's out of sequence. So what is the sequence of? Let's talk a bit about the sequence of the seder. And go through the different aspects of the seder, so we can discuss these things during our seder in the so first of all, we, we sing these 14 parts of the setup. It's interesting. So why we have a list, it's interesting. It's like you have a book and you read the book, but the first part of the book is the contents. So how many people dwell on the contents, right? You have the index, right? You have the, the, the order of the book. So how many people learn this order of the book by heart? Now, what a way to start a book, right? Let's read the contents page and make a big deal, we'll put it to music, and we'll sing the contents page. We're going to do these things, 14 things on the night of the set. Kadesh, Ruchatz, kapas, we sing it. So every time we sing it, why is that? And the answer is we have to go back in time to the time where nothing was written down. Nothing was there were no Haggadot. Imagine no books. Books, the first Siddur was written around 800 CE, which is in the time of the first Siddurim, can you imagine? 800 CE. Everything before that was the only parts we had written down were the Mishnah. So the, the Haggadot were probably not written down. So, later on, so they had to memorize everything. So we have, today, what do we memorize? We memorize the order of the Seda, which is something which was done for thousands of years, just to make sure nothing was left out. So we sing it. We sing it, because singing is part of the memorization process. In fact, you find the Mishnah was sung. and Sometimes the Gemara says there's words missing and there's words extra in the Mishnah. So the answer is that Teferi Yisrael says a beautiful thing. It says they put the Mishnah to tunes, and sometimes there were too many words for the tune, to fit it, so they left out words. And sometimes there were too few uh, words for the tune, so they added words which shouldn't have been there. So interesting that to get that tune, the tune aids memory. So you can remember songs, We can't remember other things. So songs aid memory, and the seder, we, we, we sang these 14 parts of the seder. So it's interesting. Um, and also there's the mnemonics to to talk about the mitzvot of the seder night. We're going to talk a bit about that. Um, uh, we should wash our hands with, with uh, purity and go around the altar. Uh, we say this before in uh, going around the altar on the Boshanot of Sukkot. But the word Mizbachach, which is the word of your altar, Hashem, your altar consists of the letters Mem, which is Matzah, right? Zayin is is the uh, is the shankbone on the setter plate? Uh, Ms. Bach bet is the betza, which is also on the setter plate. And uh, the chet is the haroset, And the kaf is the karpas. Here we have Ms. Bachach is has all the letters of the things on the setter plate. So again, it's a mnemonic. So a person should not forget what's on the setter plate. So again, they, they'll memorize these things. So they shouldn't forget. Today, so they have diagrams. You have a Haggadah printed for you. Everything's got a diagram. No problem. We can figure it out today. We don't need all these uh, aids to memory. So Kadesh. So it's a mitzvah to drink four cups of wine on the night of Seder. Some people have five cups of wine. The fifth cup is not to drink. It's to leave on the table for Eliyahu Navi. And that's an Ashkenazi custom. Some Sradim also have it, but many Ashkenaz. Let's talk about that. Why four cups of wine? So there's a few reasons, a couple of reasons given for the four cups of wine. Because everything started with the sale of Yosef. Everything started, why were we in Egypt? And the answer is because Joseph was sold by his brothers. And that plays a big role we're going to see in the Haggadah and the Seder reminding ourselves of of Egypt. So, how does Yosef's story tie into the four cups? Because it says in the story of the butler. Now, it's interesting that butler who was in jail with Yosef had a big part to play in the story. Why? Because he's the one who tells Pharaoh. There's a, there was a boy there, a nar, every every a Hebrew slave, a lad who was in jail with me, and he interpreted my dream. And that's what got Joseph out of the jail to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. So in the story of the butler it mentions the word cup four times. Cup of Pharaoh, cup of Pharaoh, cup of Pharaoh, four times cup. And therefore, we remember the story, remember the story at the beginning of the sedent. Wild, why, why, why do we remember the story of the butler at the beginning of the seder? And the answer is, it's very similar. Why? It reminds us that a person's life can be turned around by God in seconds. Yosef was a, was a slave, former slave, in a jail, in a dungeon. Can't imagine what it's like to be in a dungeon in Egypt. And the next day, he was the second in command to Egypt. He was a viceroy. So just like that, that's similar to the part of the Egyptian story, the we were slaves and then all of a sudden we were free. Yosef was a slave in a, in, a, in a jail, and the Four Cups had a big role to play in his freedom. So Baruch Hashem, when he started to set it with this concept, this, this thing which is upside down, the whole city is upside down. We start mm-hmm. off with this idea that the story of Yosef led to our uh, slavery and eventually our freedom. Just like Yosef was freed from jail, the Four Cups had a role to play. Mm-hmm. We have Four Cups. Okay, that's one answer. The second answer, it says uh, we were Jewish history is uh, four big empires ruled over us, four massive empires. So it depends how you count, but this is the traditional count. is you count uh, Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, so four big empires, and we survived that <laughs> way. <We're> there, <laughs> it's a miracle. You if know, you read Mark Twain's. Harper Magazine account over there, how the everyone's gone, this one's gone, this this mighty empire is gone, this mighty empire is gone, the Jews are still here. <clears throat> We're still here. So we can raise four cups of wine, every cup symbolizes one more empire we outlived. Baruch Hashem, we should outlive all the empires and raise our cup. Okay, there's another answer, which is Yudkevake, Bafke. God's name, We toast. Who is the hero of the halgada yeah, interesting because Moshe Rabbeinu is not mentioned in Haggadah. There's no mention of Moses in the Haggadah. It's a very important word which is missing. You know, it's very hard to, to read the Haggadah and see what's missing. <laughs> you got to figure out what's missing from this Haggadah. And the answer is Moses is not mentioned in Haggadah. It's wild. Why? Because Moses is not taking credit for anything. This is the night devoted to praise of Hashem, who was our. Uh, power who took us out from Egypt, he was the power. Hashem is the one who took us out from Israel. We don't deflect anything back to Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was the servant of God, and that's it. He's not God. He's not part of God. He's not in do with God. He's a servant who carried out God's wishes as God wanted, and God is the hero of the beast. So four cups of wine represent the four letters of Hashem's name, but praising God in every aspect. The main reason given is it's, it's four languages of redemption. The Torah has four languages of redemption. Actually, it has five. Both, I took him out. And I saved them. And I redeemed them. I took them as my nation. So, and there's four languages of redemption. And then there's another line which says, I brought them into the land of Israel. Well, I will bring them into the land of Israel. So, we will see that. All of us will come back, we're coming back now. And more Jews are now coming from Russia and Ukraine. Uh, unfortunately, for the wrong reasons. That's why we say in the big Amazon, bring us back, standing up. Don't bring us back, crawling back to Israel because of persecution or troubles. Please, Hashem, bring us back. My own free choice, we'll be here through our own free choice. And choose to come. That's the biggest merit a person can get. So we have four cups of wine and uh, this is interesting and uh, there's four languages of redemption we talked about and and four letters of God's name. So four cups of wine. There's a beautiful explanation that Rabbi Shalom Massas who was the former chief rabbi of Yushalayim he says why are there four languages of redemption? His question on this last answer the four languages of redemption, why does God called is coming out of egypt in different languages why the four languages of redemption why not just one language of redemption why is gaalti not enough i redeemed that god redeemed us it's not enough so he gives an answer he says because it's very hard to go from darkness to light in one second a mm-hmm. person the guy's uh in a dark room and they put on the light and then the guy's blinking for 10 minutes to adjust So he said the the redemption came in different stages. There were stages. Hashem made the redemption in different stages so people could adjust to freedom. It wasn't easy to adjust. So he didn't want to do a complete reversal in one shot because people would go out of their minds. It was just too much to grasp, you know. One day I'm I'm a slave, one day I'm free, I'm in a different country, I'm in a different place, I'm, I'm doing different things. It's just too much for a human being to adapt to overnight. So Hashem had mercy on us. He did it in four different stages. Beautiful idea, this idea of stages so that the light should not damage a person. So he put it in stages. So first, he says he stopped the work. Stopped the work. Um, in the first plagues, as soon as the first few plagues, three plagues, I think it was, the slavery stopped, the physical slavery stopped. And then, and I saved you from the work completely. Everything stopped. So the physical slavery, the hard work stopped. Uh, right? Um, and then there came the complete stop of all the slavery. It was, it was Rosh Hashanah before Pesach in Egypt. All the slavery stopped. They weren't slaves anymore. And then, which is when they came out of Egypt to complete redemption. And then, and I took you as my nation and on Shavuot. So I took you as my nation at Mount Sinai. So four different levels, different levels. I have my own personal, beautiful uh, ideas over here, which I got from someone else. I can't remember who. And that is, uh, is four different kinds of slavery. Hashem removed us four different kinds of slavery. Let's see what they are. Physical slavery, we talked about spiritual slavery, and then in mental slavery and emotional slavery. Emotional slavery is when a person has to do certain things that make no rational reason. And mental slavery is a person is sort of drawn to certain thoughts that they had, which they can't get rid of. So mental slavery. So you have physical slavery, spiritual slavery, mental slavery, and emotional slavery. So I think there's four different kinds of slavery. Obviously. But Shep's talking about four different kinds of redemption. We see when the Jews came out of Egypt. As the Zionists would say, you get you can get the Jew out of Egypt, but you can't get Egypt out of the Jew. It's hard to it's called the Galut mentality. You can get the Jew out of Galut, but you can't get the mentality out of the Jew, and that's what's uh, the different. That's a mental kind of statement. So the Jews came out of Egypt, but they always thought, you know, and that's why it's so important. It says at the Red Sea, to see their ex masters lying in front of them dead that they can get over and say, oh, my master is dead. I'm not a slave anymore. I'm really not a slave. I'm really free. They have to get it into their minds. It's very hard to adapt to, from being a slave, especially for hundreds of years. Because we see today in America that, uh, you know, slaves were, were, were all freed, and yet it's very hard to adapt. It's very hard to become a free person and think like a free person and get on with your life and, and run your life properly. So, so there's four different kinds of slaveries and four different kinds of redemption. Uh, beautiful idea, I think it's a beautiful idea. Okay, uh, the Shla gives a very beautiful answer. The, Sh- the Shla says, why four cups? We're drinking a toast to the four mothers of our nation. Psh, that's I've never seen this before. The Shla, Kadosh, um, Rabbi Shai Horowitz, Shnei Luchot his book, Shla, short Shla, Shnei Luchot Well, At the same time around, the same time, Arizal just asked Arizal five, 500 years ago. He moved to Sfat. And he wrote this beautiful book, Sefer. And he, so he writes over there that the drinking four cups is connected to Arba And in fact, in fact, that ties in to the uh, uh, the song, you know, Echad uh, Miodea, Arba Miodea, Arba So beautiful four cups, four imahot, four mothers of the Jewish people. It says, each mother had a strength that we toast on the night of Pesach. So what is the first one? Sarah. The wife of Abraham is in honor of Sarah because she would, it says, she would make the Nashim. She would draw women close to God. So she, she, people don't realize, Abraham and Sarah were the first missionaries in private history. They would draw people. The Rambam doesn't mention Midrashim, but the Rambam in the Saudi Torah talks about the Midrash of Abraham Abinu. You gather thousands of people in public and give them lectures about God and print many sfarim, uh, about the, the prohibitions of idolatry and belief in God. Amazing. We, uh, Hatimat Rambam is quoting Midrash over there. It's one of the few places he quotes Midrash. But uh, that's it. So, Abraham and Sarah were the quintessential uh, missionaries. And Sarah was bringing in all these women to serve God. And so, the Kiddush, the first cup, called and God chose us from the nations. You know, she was bringing in the game she was bringing in women. To serve God, that's the greatness of Salah. So we praise her with the first cup, and the second cup is Rivka. Rivka came from an idolatrous nation. She came from idolatrous parents. She joined the the Jewish people, and uh, and uh, so we dedicate the second cup to Rivka. The third cup is corresponding to Rachel. Rachel, we drink the big Amazon because she was the main Akira She was the main pillar of the house of Jacob, even though. She only had two sons. She was called the pillar of the house of Jacob. And so we have Bricka Mazon to celebrate her, the fourth of the third cup. And then the, third, the, fourth, the fourth cup is going Le'ah. It's for Le'ah. And that we say Halel, because she was the one who started the idea of Halel by naming her fourth son Yehuda, which means Atah Odel Hashem. Now I will praise God. So we praise God. The fourth cup of wine, the Halel, is Le'ah We'll have that in mind. Okay, now we move on to another question. Um, why do we drink four cups? Why don't we uh, have five? Um, okay, so it says a few answers over here. Um, we always have to drink wine. And so why don't we ask the question in the Manishtana? All nights we drink one cup and over here we drink four cups. That's the question. So every night we drink one cup and uh, here we drink four cups. Why? why? So he says the first cup the child sees is the Kiddush cup. And when you see the Kiddush cup, you don't know there's four cups coming. So that's why there's no question in the Manashtana about four cups. He doesn't know the second cup is coming. So maybe, you know, when he sees the fourth cup, he's going to ask a question. Daddy, how come we have another cup of wine? So that's, he should be asking that question. But uh, the, he can't put it part of the part of Manashtana. That's, that's the first answer. Okay, second answer. Um, so the second answer is they only made questions on mitzvah from the Torah. So in those days, there were two mitzvahs from the Torah. One is um, Matzah, one is Marorah, and the Koran Pesah. So the Koran Pesah, we don't have a question. Interesting, if you read the Rambam. He says there was a different question about the Koran Pesah and the Manashtana at the time where they ate Koran Pesah. You know, 2,000 years ago, in the time of the temples, they had a different question. The four questions were slightly different. One question was totally different. Why do we eat the meat only roasted and not cooked? Interesting, one of the four questions at the time of the Rambam. So not entirely the Ramah brings down from the time of the Temple. So, but now we have a different question about why we dip uh, so many times in the uh, in the seder. So, so why do we dip and why do we lean? So he says, even though they're not mitzvah to do with from the Torah, because there's no mitzvah to lean from the Torah, but they're revolving around mitzvah from the Torah. In other words, you have to eat your matzah, which is the mitzvah from the Torah, leaning. You have to dip the maror, which is the mitzvah from the Torah in those days. And therefore, those became questions surrounding the mitzvah from the Torah. We want to attract the children's attentions, especially to mitzvah from the Torah. We want to make the mitzvah from the Torah the highlight of the uh, situation. Okay, kadesh urchats. Interesting, kadesh urchats. Sanctify and wash. So kadesh is the first kiddush, the first cup, and urchats is washing hands for the karpas, which is interesting. That's uh, uh, one of the reasons they enacted the Karpas is to make uh, the children ask questions. Why are we dipping over here? We don't dip so many times. Why are we dipping the Karpas? Why are we washing hands before the meal? What's going on up here? So, Kadesh Ruchat. Normally, now this has tremendous symbolism. You sanctify yourself and you wash yourself. So, Kadesh means sanctify. We did the Kiddush and we washed. Now, normally, King Solomon says, Sur mei Keep away from evil and do good. Normally the and in fact in the book Path of the Just. The first stage of coming into prophecy he says is Surmirah. Keep away from bad. Zehirut. If you go on the roads in Israel, everybody has a sign. Zahirut, be careful. The caution, caution, caution. I don't know how much it helps. Caution. And it seems like people read caution, they go faster. So caution. So Zahirut in life person needs Zahirut, caution which seems the opposite way around it seems first wash your hands from the evil sumera keep it bad keep away from the bad and then kadesh and then do good and then holiness so why in the set is opposite way around wasn't, the set it was upside around and the answer is kadesh kurhat in the time of coming out of egypt they didn't have time to wash themselves they didn't have time to do the shuva. they didn't have time to stop the idolatry interesting they didn't have time and so therefore hashem redeemed them before they did Teshuvah, and they had to sanctify themselves first, and then do Teshuvah later. So 49 days between freedom and coming out and going and getting up. the Torah, we said the 49 days, is to get out the 49 levels of Tumah, the 49th level of defilement, and each day to climb two levels. So there's uh, the, the, the Kadesh, Hashem took them out first, and then they do Teshuvah, Kadesh Uchatz. First, the Kadesh and then the Urchatz. Yeah. Hashem gave them a chance. He sanctified them and then they did the Shiva. So, that's a beautiful idea that's hinted to over here Kadesh Urchatz. Uh, first, sanctify and then wash, even though normally it's the other way around. Normally, first you wash and then you sanctify. And then Karpas. Oh, the Karpas. Now, the Karpas is interesting because the Karpas is not mentioned. Obviously, it's not mentioned anywhere in the Torah. It's not a mentioned from the Torah. There's no bracha on the karpas. The only bracha is the regular bracha. The rabbis put the karpas. Why is the karpas on the Haggadah? Oh, I want to make you ask that question. It's an opening for questions. The karpas opener for questions. However, there is tremendous symbolism in the karpas. Benesh says a beautiful idea. Karpas symbolizes what caused us to go into Egypt in the first place. And the answer is the ketonic pasim the coat of many colors or whatever it was, the coat of linen, fine linen, that Jacob gave Yosef, caused so much jealousy. And it's hinted to in the word karpas. The kaf is the ketone, the pas is pasim. And the resh is when they came back to their father and they said, daddy, do you recognize this coat? Uh, it was dipped in blood. They ripped the coat and they dipped in blood of the, of the goat. And Yaakov says, it's the coat of Yosef, a wild animal ate him up. And that's the ration, the Karpas, Spanish, says, ra. the, hayara, the evil the, the creature, creature ate up uh, Yosef. So Karpas is, and we dip the coat of Yosef, it's like the Karpas reminds us of dipping into salt water, which are the tears of Yaakov. Inu. How many tears did Yaakov have? We have to remember that. How many tears? That's why the Jews were in Egypt. Why were they in Egypt? They were destined they even though they were destined to be in land, not like not theirs, Hashem made it happen only because they sinned with the sin of uh, the brothers. They sold their brother into into slavery, and they didn't know it could have been much worse. Could have been killed. Anything could have happened to him. Somehow, miracle, survival, which is again hinted to again in the four cups, survival, miracle, viceroy of Egypt. Who would who who would think? Who would even believe? Who would who could even have that in mind. You know, Yaakov is mourning for 22 years of mourning. He's crying. How many tears? That's the salt water. The Karpas is the code of, y- of Yosef into the salt water. Boy, it's so late already. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnyTime.com.